This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 590, a conversation with Pete Woods. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 590. It's my conversation with Pete Woods, celebrated artist who's worked both at Marvel at DC and many other places over the course of the many years he's been in the industry. So we sit down to uh, have a nice chat about his career, uh, current projects, original projects, and uh, everything in between. Uh, you can reach me at Adam, sorry, you can reach me at Comic Shenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, this is a, a really fun episode talking to Pete uh, about how he got, got into comics, uh, how he kind of got into the industry, um, and all the different things he's worked on. Uh, it was really interesting to be able to talk to him. What I really appreciated is uh, his can- his candidness and his honesty about projects he's worked on, things that maybe didn't work out as well, things he could have done better. Um, it's always refreshing to talk to an artist who isn't afraid to kind of look at the, the warts of their own career uh, and be able to you know accept them and uh, also establish the things that have gone well um, and things that they're doing that they're really proud of and, and happy with. And uh, it's just it's such a pleasure to be able to sit down with Pete and discuss his work. So uh, without further ado, just let's jump right on into the episode with Pete Woods. Pete, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing the show. Um, when, usually when I interview people, I like to go way back, way back, way back to their childhood and find out when did you first kind of become aware of comics or when did they become part of your life? And even was it even in your childhood or was it later? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it started out with, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch, of course, the old Adam West Batman, and they had reruns of the black and white Superman, and uh, I used to watch those. My mom made me a, a Batman costume, and I ran around <laughs> the house with that, and then she bought me, um, it was when uh, <clears throat> when uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman came out, they reprinted um, Action Comics number one in a giant size format. Oh yeah, and my my mom bought me one of those, and that's when I really fell in love with comics. You know, and well, I've been wanting to do it ever since. So. When you when you were young, who who were your kind of touchstone characters? Who were the ones you were like, I got to read this. I got to read as many of these as I can. Uh, well, when I was a little kid, it was you know it was the basics. It was Superman, Batman. Um, <clears throat> those were the two big ones. But when I hit my teenagehood or preteen. Um, I think I switched to read a lot of X Men, um, read a lot of Doctor Who comics. You know, Marvel was reprinting Doctor Who comics in color at the time in the U.S. And um, I would uh, we I try to find any issues of heavy metal or or um, any of those more. Uh, what am I trying to say? Those more obscure, hard to get titles in the U.S. I also spent a lot of time digging up. Old EC comics and science fiction comics because I love those. Oh yeah. Now this isn't, and this is a question. Obviously, you're an artist, but what was it that first kind of really drew you about comics? Was it the the visuals? Was it the visual storytelling, or was it the stories themselves? So, what was it that kind of appealed to? I'm guessing it was the art, but maybe I was, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I knew it would, art was something I wanted to do, but if the story wasn't good, I didn't have any interest. So. Um, a lot of the, like I said, the science fiction comics at the time, you know, especially you know, when they'd adapt old Ray Bradbury stories and stuff, um, I dug the hell out of those. And um, what really kind of opened my eyes to what comics could be, it's going to sound, it might sound silly, 
but um, Anosenti and Art Adams on Longshot kind of like blew my mind as far as this is a superhero comic, but it's it's got depth. It's got I care about the characters. I, there's more to it than just punching bad guys. And I, it kind of shifted the way I thought comics could be. Does that make sense? Absolutely, no, for sure. Would would you count Art Adams as a major influence, or who are your kind of your major major artistic influences? When I was a kid, definitely art, and um, um, I used to. I had a copy of uh, an old um, Stanley Jack Kirby Silver Surfer graphic novel, or not a graphic novel, but I think it was reprints. I can't remember what it was now. I can't even remember the title. <laughs> um, but I used to sit there and. and at late at night with a bunch of typing paper, a brush, and a bottle of ink and try to imitate, you know, what I saw on the page. So um, Kirby at, at the beginning was a big influence. And, and um, I, you know, I, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. I really liked um, I liked um, Howard Chaikin on the Star Wars comics at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting look. And... Um, yeah, but it just kind of depended on the year, really. Whoever was, you know, I always wanted something fresh and new to look at. So I went a lot of ways. Now, at what point did you realize that, you know, you're that, I mean, a lot of people doodle, a lot of people draw, but how did, when did you first kind of realize, I may actually be good at this, or I might actually have a talent in this? Well, I, when you're a kid, one of the dangers is, as for an artist, is getting lots of compliments. As a kid, you know, I got a lot of compliments as a kid for my art, so I never really tried to push it, but that was something I thought I would would want to do because everyone always told me I was a good artist. Um, it was either that or a, or a, an astronomer, and um, <laughs> I didn't have the I didn't have the knack for the math, ah. so uh, so I went for the comics. Now, when when you're uh, you know younger and you're starting to draw, like. What would, what how would you, how would you push yourself in terms of your your drawing or what what were you trying to draw how were you trying to emulate you said that you know you're trying to replicate a bit of Kirby what what else were you drawing at the time and uh, how is you know that kind of earlier experiences and I mean everything obviously forms informs what you do now but what about it was the kind of the most important building blocks of becoming the artist you would later become that's a good question um, it was. I'm going to stumble over my words here for a second. Um, it, it was looking at dynamics. You know, I'd, I'd look at some people for dynamics and some people for lighting and some people for detail. Like I spent a lot of time um, looking at Dave Gibbons' work um, for the detail. And it, I, I'm not sure if I'm addressing your question or not, but I'm, I gathered all these little bits and pieces from everywhere and, tried to try to push it together and look at my work compared to theirs and see how I could integrate things I'd learned from them. Okay. Does that, does that answer your question? It no. does. It does. Um, dovetailing off of that, um, what uh, when you're illustrating anything, and this is current day as well, um, what is the type of details that you hate to draw? Details. Um, I could be into that. Like, I mean, for some people, I know that like they're like, you know, don't want to draw horses or something like that. Like, is there something uh, that every time you're like, oh man, don't make me do that, please? Um, yeah, horses aren't too bad. I've never been good at 
dogs and cats. One time, um, <laughs> one time I was on Robin way back when, um, I drew him. He was out in uh, like a, a old abandoned alleyway, <clears throat> and sitting on top of his car was a was a cat licking its paws. And um, I got an email from my editor, um, Matt Idelson, and he asked me um, what why I put in a mutant squirrel. <laughs> so I, I kind of avoid drawing cats whenever, which is funny because I went on to draw Catwoman for a while. Yeah. That kind of helped me get over that. But, um, and sometimes like classroom, school rooms, things where there's lots of, lots of desks or chairs or restaurants, schools, things like that, where you have to, you have to have a solid um, foundation that everyone is. Everyone knows what a restaurant looks like. Everyone knows what a what a school looks like. A schoolroom looks like. So you have to be accurate, and it's also a lot of work building all those little individual bits of, of chairs and desks and things. So when it's a lot of tedious work like that, I tend to I tend to get go a little bit crazy. When you do, actually, that brings up an interesting point. When you set something in a classroom, but you know it's going to be like a frequent setting, do you kind of have like a stock image? Like, do you kind of illustrate one, and that's your kind of your background you always going to go back to? Like, almost like um, almost like building a set in in a TV show. If you know you're going to come back to it, you're not going to strike it down. You're going to keep it up. Do you kind of have almost like a, an example so that you're always making sure it's the exact same detail, or are you always just kind of recreating it from scratch each time? That might be a dumb question, but I just wanted to no. ask. Not a dumb question at all. In fact, um, um, I'm using, and a lot of artists these days are using a, a free 3D program called SketchUp. Google used to make it. I can't remember who, who took it over from Google. But you can build simple 3D environments and then adjust the camera angle wherever you want it. And so for a long time, I was actually using that exclusively as my background. I build intricate backgrounds and then export them onto my page. And after a while, I realized that it was looking a bit dead. So I try not to, I use it as reference instead of actually, you know, putting it on the page. I use it in my layouts. But yeah, if I, uh, like right now, I'm doing a scene in a diner. And um, I have a diner I built a few years ago for a different project. Um, I changed the details here and there, but. I use this, yeah. I use the same model um, for the backgrounds to to get everything accurate. It helps a lot because, um, yeah, building all those individual like before SketchUp, you'd have to grid out your page with a perspective grid and carefully place, you know, everything and everyone. So <laughs> SketchUp is a bit of a shortcut for that. When um, when I, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but when did you start integrating digital tools into your kind of toolbox? Like when did that kind of transition start happening for you? Um, let's see, Action Comics 890. I I had used I did layouts and um, photo reference on Photoshop um, for a long time, but then I uh, with Action Comics 890 the beginning of the Black Ring storyline, mm-hmm. I, I just threw myself right into working digitally. I, I put away the paper and the pencil, and I said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. So that first issue was about three weeks late. But after that, <laughs> I got the hang of it. Um, 
that's often how I try to learn things is just throw myself in the middle of it and mm-hmm. sink or swim. You know, if I got a deadline, I got to learn it or I'm in trouble. So True. Now, was, it, was that something you'd been toying with for a while at that point and just kind of pulled off the Band-Aid and said, let's go? I had fiddled um, with uh, New Krypton. I'd fiddled here and there with some digital inking, but it didn't work out well. I didn't know what I was doing. So I that was on Photoshop, and I went out and bought um, a program called Manga Studio. Um, it's now called Clip Studio Paint. Um, and, uh, and taught myself how to use it on Action Comics 890. So I was back in the old days, Manga Studio 4, which was a lot more clunky than the new Clip Studio Paint 5. So mm-hmm. if, if there's artists out there who haven't tried Clip Studio Paint, it's cheap, and it's got an easy learning curve, and it's super powerful. When, when you started learning it, was, was there any colleagues of yours that, or rather peers in the field that you knew used it that kind of helped you along, or was it kind of a pure crash course for you? Um, there weren't a lot of people using it back then. There weren't a lot of artists working solely digitally. Um, Dave Gibbons was doing, he was using Manga Studio at the time, and I think I asked him over Twitter a couple of times how he did this or that, but I looked at what he, he posted a lot of tutorial videos that helped. Um, but yeah, there weren't a lot of people out there to ask at the time. Now that, now it's a standard tool. There's so many people using Clip Studio Paint these days. So. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Dave Gibbons, so you mentioned before he was kind of a, an early influence and someone you would look at. Um, what In your career as a comic book artist, obviously you've worked with a lot of different people. You've been able to meet a lot of different people. Um, which of the kind of childhood heroes were the most exciting for you to be able to meet? Oh, man. Um, it's always like... Uh, I don't do a lot of shows. I don't do a lot of traveling. So I don't get to meet face-to-face a whole lot of people. Um, you know, Jim Lee was the guy that hired me. So meeting him at the beginning of my career was like uh, like meeting God. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I've like uh, met Art Adams once or twice at shows, you know, Dave Johnson's a nice guy. Um, spent some time with Cully Hamner, who's who's really awesome. And then, and then um, I haven't met a lot of people, you know, with a lot of history in the business. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you get a notice like Wilson Kevich likes a post that you made or something like that. And that's you know, those are always cool. I still geek out about stuff like that, <laughs> even though I've been doing this for years. So, I guess um, with certain people, it never really goes away, right? That's right. I mean, these are people that, you know, helped you in a roundabout way get where you are. So you you always look up to them. You always feel a sense of awe and respect for, for these people. So, so let's rewind the clock, the clock again. So, um, you know, you're still reading comics, still, you know, practicing art. When did you kind of decide in your head, I'm going to be a comic book artist? This is something I want to do. I'm actually going to make this happen. Well, it's it's something I always thought I wanted to do. I always kind of imagined, like, going through high school that I would end up being a comic artist. Um, I was in an um, honors art program at my high school, and and um, I did my honors program based on comics. So, you know, I drew a comic for this, for this honors program. I was actually in um, Norm Ratmond, um Anchor at DC and I were in the same art class for a couple of years. So oh, wow. it was you know, it's a small world. 
Um, but yeah, I knew that then, but the thing that finally pushed me, um, I had a lot of, uh, trouble with my family, my father, not my, not my mother. Um, they'd gotten divorced when I was young and I was living with my father and we did not get along too well. So, um, at 18 years old, I got kicked out of the house and, um, I, uh, went to, you know, I was just struggling to, to pay the bills. You know, I didn't have any any marketable skills. I was just a grunt. So, you know, I worked at Little Caesar's Pizza and Ross Dress for Less. And I was, I was sitting there at Ross one day looking at the shoe department that I had to clean up again, you know, for the umpteenth time that day and realized that if I didn't do something, I was going to be stuck in that job for the rest of my life. So my mom um, opened the doors for me, let me come move in um, with her. And yeah, I was the proverbial... Um, nerd in the basement you know, living off the you know living off his parents mm-hmm. while I um while I you know developed my skills I, it was it was 21 I think I think it was 21 when I when I made that decision and I, I just spent I had the occasional part-time job but mostly I would spend eight hours a day drawing trying to improve and um it took me two and a half years I think there were a couple of um false alarms you know um I did some work for Antarctic Press. Um, I was at a San Diego con, and um, uh, I was showing my stuff at Extreme, and uh, they seemed interested. I talked to Rob, and he invited me to work for them, and then um, I never got a call back. So I was feeling a little bit disillusioned then, but then it was about maybe six months later that I got the call from Jim. Um to come work down at Wildstorm, so I, I kind of meandered there. I, I apologize. No, no. So I actually have a question. So, what was it? You know, this is obviously you know early to mid nineties. What is it like meeting both you know Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee at that time? Because that they're rock stars at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my opinion, they still are. <laughs> True, but like at the time, especially like they were. Yeah. The, the hottest thing in comics. Oh, it was it was super cool. I mean. Rob was really nice to me. He was a nice guy. I don't know what happened there, why you know, why I never got a call back. I think that was about the time the industry started falling apart, so they probably just didn't have anything to give me. Um, but he was super nice. And um, and Jim was, you know, Jim was, it was really cool to meet him. He was he was everything I, I thought he'd be. He was kind. He was uh, generous with his time. Um, he was making an investment in all of us. You know, kids trying to trying to break in. So, so I, I don't. It, it's like you know, it's meeting your childhood heroes, kind of. So you know, it, there's an overwhelming sense of awe and respect for these guys. I don't know if that you know does that answer your question. Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely. Now, when you start working for Jim, um, do you, how do you feel about that work now? Because obviously, it's early. Um, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and some people can't look at their older stuff. Some people can, but only through like eyes that are squinting through like fingers and stuff. Um, how do you feel about that kind of original work? I, um, I, you know, I can't even look at what I did last week without without <laughs> feeling terrible. But I, I look back at that stuff, and honestly, I wonder how you know what Jim saw in me at the time. Because um, because if if I had seen what I did. He obviously he obviously saw something 
that, that, that I can't see. Um, but it worked out. Um, I, yeah, but I can't look at that. I look back at that stuff and I was heavily influenced by, um, guys like, let me see, Joe Matarera and Humberto Ramos, um, at the time. And so I was trying to do this cartoony stuff, but I wanted to round it out. So everything looked like it was made out of, of Play-Doh <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, strangely rendered so yeah i can't i can't really look at that stuff anymore i I try to avoid it whenever possible so okay well here's a a, kind of a weird general question but just in just in general looking at your work as a whole when at what point do you think you became you like when do you think that you developed the style that you felt most was uh you know some um emblematic of who pete woods is as an artist not you trying to you know ape another style or try to you know kind of pick up styles that were people were used to seeing in certain books, but when do you feel like you, you truly became Pete Woods? I think there was, um, there's, there's stages, but the, the moment where I sat down and I was comfortable with what I was doing and felt like it was mine was, um, when I took over detective comics for a year with, um, Anderson Gabrick hmm. it was right after my Robin run. That's when I, when I felt ownership, like I felt a strong sense of ownership in Detective Comics, we were doing something that I thought was fun and cool, and and um, I felt invested and I felt you know part of the creative process. That and then my next project was Catwoman, which was stylistically a, a 180 degree shift. Detective Comics was just heavy, heavy blacks. So I look back on it now and I see it's, it was just way too black and then when i switched to catwoman there was no I, we didn't use black at all it was you know brad anderson did all the all the real shading and i i did sort of an open line like a jeff darrow um Mebius sort of look to it you know just a european sort of openness um both of those you know i felt like i was doing things that i enjoyed and it felt like mine. So, and then, you know, I try to, I try to keep that up, but, you know, also as you jump through t- from title to title, the different books demand different styles. So right now I'm working on Red Hood and Red Hood is, is a, it's a dark book. So I'm, I'm, I've gone from using almost no blacks to using a ton of blacks again. So. Mm-hmm. Do you, but, do you have a preference on whether to ink your own stuff or have someone else ink you? I think other people are better at inking me than I am, but I like having that control and I like, well, cause right now I, I, I'm coloring myself too. So I'm doing the entire process from, from layout to finished colors. And I like having that control. I really enjoy my favorite part of the, of the work is taking, going from inks to finished colors. It, um, it really feels like you're creating a world. So while I'm not the best inker in the business by any stretch, I, I don't think I'd be happy with somebody else inking my stuff. If that makes sense. I like that. I like to have total control. For sure. Now, at what, at what point did you start coloring your own work as well? Cause that's, you know, that's the complete package right there. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I left 
DC right after Vibe um, to try some new things. And Bob Shrek at Legendary gave me the opportunity to um, experiment. And it was a, on a book called Cops for Criminals with Stephen Grant. And um, he just let me go and let me do my thing. And um, that's where I really learned to color. Um, I didn't know anything before, like, once again, like, I didn't know how to color when I signed on to that book. I did a little bit. I showed them some samples, so I knew the basic process, but I didn't know all the technical stuff. So Bob really took a chance, and I'm grateful to him for it, and um, that helped me learn. And then I went on to do Cryptocracy with uh, Van Jensen at Dark Horse, mm-hmm. and um, that um, I, I look back on that and... While I was proud of it at the time, I see a lot of, I tried to do um, digital backgrounds, you know, 3D rendered backgrounds, and it didn't work well. Um, I'd love to go back, I'd love for us to get a chance to do a second series, because I think, I think we could, um, I think art-wise, it would, um, it would look a lot better. But yeah, it was Cops for Criminals, then Cryptocracy, and then um, Archie. Um, and uh, Hero Killers at Dynamite. Those, you know, each one taught me different things. Like Hero Killers at Dynamite, we were working on a much tighter budget. I did it so I could work with um, Matt Idelson, um, my old editor at DC. He's a good friend of ours. Um, and uh, the, the page rate was much lower than I'm used to, so I had to figure out a way to pencil, ink, and color quickly so I could compensate for the the um, the lower page rate. So I've learned a lot of speed through that and um, a lot of stylism, stylization from Archie. So each project is a step. And then, yeah, um, on Justice League, um, DC let me go and uh, go just do what I wanted to do on that. And... Um, and I think it, I, for the most part, I think it turned out well. There's um, one issue in the middle that uh, Craig Mayor colored, and you can see the, the difference between the two of us. I think he did a great job, but it's interesting to, I'm, I'm meandering again, I'm sorry. It's just interesting to see different takes on the same work. Oh, for but, sure. Yeah, I just went off. I just went off on a tangent. I apologize. No, no, don't apologize. That's very interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, that's, it's a big jump to start, I mean, you're doing everything, so you're penciling, inking, and coloring, and then seeing the progression of how you color and the new techniques that you kind of figure out and also how to light things differently as you work on different books. I mean, that's a process. I mean, that's a process that, you know, someone who is just a colorist goes through a tremendous amount of work to develop that, and you're doing that on top of the other, you know, chores that you're already doing, the penciling and inking. So that's a lot to take on. Yeah, well, you know, it it can be. Um, But when you go into it, with a mindset, knowing how long each step takes, having an end goal in mind, and just planning things out, um, it's not as overwhelming as it as it might sound. I, you know, I used to think that you know, when I was penciling, I couldn't imagine people who penciled and inked their own work. And then I got to a point where I wanted to try it, and it 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 didn't take that much more time. And and so then I looked at people, you know, doing the whole process, penciling to inking to coloring. And at first I thought that was an overwhelming amount of work. But but like 
once you once you figure out the basics and you can plan ahead, it it's not as overwhelming as it sounds. And you said so I encourage. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, as you said before, like that. I mean, that small element of being able to be in control. Well, now the total product is what you want it to look like. Like when you see something in your mind, now it's like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all that together. There's no you know kind of question on is the colorist gonna be able to bring this to life the way I want it to look, or is the anchor gonna be able to bring the definition to this image the way I would like it to? And now you're just you know if you can't do it, then no one could because it's what you want it to look like. Well, you know, I would be fine if I, I I'm not trying to to argue. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm stumbling over my words again. I apologize. Um, if I was just a penciler, I would not be happy, but, um, there are certainly, you know, there's inkers that are better than me and there's colors that are better than me. If you get the right team together with the, you know, and everyone's communicating that work can be, you know, amazing. But in a monthly comic environment, it takes a lot to build a team like that, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. So, I that's why I prefer to have the, the the control is that I want things to look as cool as I can, as I imagine them in my head. You know, I and um, so I I like that that element of control, and you know, I'm trying to build. I'm meandering again. I apologize, but I'm trying to to build. Um, I like realistic lighting and color, and a lot of people like to lean more stylized. So that's always been a struggle. Brad Anderson was, you know, one of the best colors I ever worked with, and I I learned a lot just looking at what he did. And he and I had much the same viewpoint. But once I left DC, you know, Brad's pretty much a DC guy, so I had to find a way to. To do it on my own. I worked with Matt Wilson, who was amazing on Terminator. He did a fantastic job. Nothing like I pictured it would be, but it was really cool. Um, but yeah, once I got the opportunity to 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 make the whole package as as cool as I could visualize it, then you know I took it. I took that opportunity. So I. There you go. I, I like to babble. Apparently, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, tell me, uh, what was it like when you first, like when you got the call to do the Excalibur issue? The I guess your first Excalibur issue, ex, uh, issue one twelve, uh, back in ninety seven. Like, oh you, God, please. Did, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, yeah, that's not. Um, that work is not something I, I want people to go looking for. Just know that it's out there. And, 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 <laughs> We can leave. I'm surprised you found that or knew about that. But um, I was working at Wildstorm, and the bottom was really dropping out of the business. Um, the big crash of the '90s had hit in full force, and work was drying up. Um, all, um, there was a bunch of interns at Wildstorm, and we were on our own. You know, once we'd gone through the internship program. I had done a few issues of Backlash, which I was grateful for, um, and um, they caught the notice of, I can't remember who the editor was, Matt Idelson was the actual editor that gave me the work, but there was somebody else that showed the Backlash issues to Matt Idelson, but it was right when I'd finished Backlash, and I had no idea what I was going to be doing next. I didn't even know how to find work. 
um, because I'd been sort of inside that Wildstorm bubble and mm-hmm. work at Wildstorm was drying up. So I was, you know, we just got an apartment um, and I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. And then I got a call from, was it a call? It must have been a call. I don't, I'm not even sure I had an email back then. It's that long ago. <laughs> um, a call from Matt Idelson offering me the the Excalibur gig. So it was, you know, it was answered prayers pretty much. That's what it was. And the very first, the very first page I got to draw was Nightcrawler. And that was, you know, growing up, Nightcrawler was, was my guy. I love Nightcrawler. So that was a big, you know, a, a watershed moment is being able to draw a Nightcrawler. For sure. And I mean, you got, you got three issues to do this. It wasn't just a one-off. So obviously they liked you. Yeah, I signed on for three issues. I don't know how much they liked me. I mean, they kept giving me work, so I guess they must have liked me. <laughs> so, w- when you do when you do that that book, so you're working on Excalibur. How does how does Deadpool come around? Because I mean, it's interesting that your first issue in Deadpool is the one that everyone talks about. It's one of the most celebrated issues of Deadpool, and that's your first issue in the book with the character. That's you know kind of an amazing homecoming. Like this is your you know this is. Did you know when you got Deadpool that it was going to be something? Um, well, Matt Idelson was the editor on Deadpool as well as Excalibur. So that's kind of how that, you know, one led into another. And um, actually, Deadpool 11 was not technically my first issue of Deadpool because um, Ed McGinnis was falling behind. He was doing some amazing work, but he was he was struggling with the deadline, I think. And um, they asked me to do layouts for an issue or two. So I think issues 9 and 10, maybe. Okay. Um, I, did, I did layouts for Ed. Um, I'm not sure if I, I don't. It's been so long ago. I don't remember how much I actually did. But So I sort of oozed into it rather than fell into it, if that makes <laughs> sense. You know, yeah. Ed, Ed needed a break. They were going to do a special issue. And... Um, I just got lucky, really. I just got lucky. Um, I was in the right—I was the right guy at the, you know, in the right place at the right time. So, um, and it's, you know, it's one of the one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, I know the the work isn't, you know, what I would do today, but um, it's still work I'm proud of. We had a lot of fun with it, and I got to be inked by Joe Sinat, so that was cool. Joe Sinat and Al Milgram—that was really neat. And you, so. and you got to be colored by Soto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you know when the the opportunity came for uh, for um, Justice League, I, he was the first on the list because you know I, I know Chris and I think he does good work. For sure. Now, when you when you when you get onto Deadpool, so you're when you're actually doing the pencils, not just the layout. So I guess you do what three issues or so, and then. You were doing some Gen 13, and then eventually you kind of came back. Did you kind of become the Deadpool filling guy for a while? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, I did. You know, I filled in for Ed, and then Ed was leaving, and um, I, I kind of assumed I'd be getting the book after Ed was leaving, but they gave it to Walter McDaniel, who's, you know, who he did an awesome job, but, you know, he I had to fill in for him on a couple issues, too, and um, after Walter left... I took over the book, but it, I don't remember. You probably know it better than I do. I took over the book um, for a few issues, 
um, Matt Idelson had left Marvel for DC, and um, Joe was leaving the book, and it was just the right time to get off Deadpool, and then it was about that time Matt Idelson called me and offered me Robin, but yeah, I... I Pretty much, that was that was my thing was, and that was enough to pay the bills, so I was happy, you know. Do mm-hmm. a fill an issue of of um, Deadpool here and there. I think I did a Gen X annual somewhere in that period of time too. Yeah, definitely, I remember that one. That was uh, Gen oh. X annual nineteen ninety nine. With um, is it Jay Faber who wrote it? Yes. Yes. I don't remember anything about that issue. We were so <laughs> behind the deadline. All I remember is it had Jubilee in it. That's that's all I remember. That's okay. So. <laughs> now, when Matt calls you with Robin, so you know you've been starting to work into you know um, into Marvel. Obviously, he was your main kind of contact for most of the time you were there. Was it kind of a natural that to kind of follow Matt since he was the one kind of giving you work and on a regular basis, or was part of you kind of like, well, I want to stick around and and do some stuff with Marvel, or was the opportunity to do Robin too big? Um, you know, it was pretty much, uh, if I'm being honest, it was, you know, that was work that was offered to me and I needed work. So I took it. Um, it was Robin. It was, you know, the opportunity to draw, um, you know, Batman was in there too. So, and I got to draw, you know, these characters that I grew up with. So my chair is going to squeak here. I'm sorry. I got a squeaky chair. Um, so it was that was the icing on the cake. But really, honestly, I needed I needed a, a gig, and that was the gig, and it happened to be a cool gig. And I ended up staying on the book for I think four years. So yeah, it was a long was, time. It was a long time. Yeah. What was it like? Like, what was your? Uh, did you have a sense of collaboration with uh, with Chuck Dixon, or like, how did you, how did you kind of get those scripts? Was uh, is it pretty detailed, or like, did it allow you a lot of latitude, and did that kind of change over time as you guys develop more of a working relationship with each other? Or what was that like? Um, it was good. Chuck Chuck was always open to anything. He always swore he, he teased me. He always swore he wouldn't do magic in in, in Robin. Because he, you know, he didn't like magic, um, and one of the things I want to do when I got on the book was do a story with a, with a, um, like a genie or a, a demon or something like that. So he wrote a, he wrote a story about a demon, from Ar- Arakat, I think was his name, um, from uh, I don't remember where he was from. Oh, jeez. Um, it's that fictional country in 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 DC where uh, Jason Todd got oh beaten. yeah I can't think of it right now oh. but I know what you mean Korok or something like that so it was this it was um yeah this demon from from Korok so he he broke his vow not to put magic in the book because I asked him to so you know <laughs> that's collaboration I'd call that collaboration we also introduced the the skateboard. Yeah. Um, that lasted about an issue or two, I think it was. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my push to do the skateboard thing, too. I like the demon better than the skateboard. 
when you were working on Robin, I mean, you did pretty much uninterrupted. You didn't really, I think, had maybe one issue break. Um, was that pretty important to you to be, you know, the regular penciler and not miss any of those issues? Because, I mean, nowadays I think we kind of take it for granted that people are going to cycle on and off and you don't always get 12 issues in a year. But at the time it was, I guess, more common. Was that important to you as an artist? It was, yeah, I liked having, I liked having a steady gig that let me, that let me challenge myself, that gave me a little bit of leeway as far as, you know, experimenting with storytelling and style, and um, so it was important to me in that I wanted to show that I could put out the work and do it continuously like you know like an old school artist you know those people used to stay on books for a long long time and i wanted to be one of them and and um yeah i i guess i guess it wasn't i you know i never really thought about it now that you, you ask me i've never really considered it but yeah i guess it was important to me to um to to be somebody who could reliably put out a monthly book I think we had two or three fill-ins David Hahn um, my friend from Periscope Studios back then it was um, well this was before we had the studio Mercury Studio and my wife Rebecca filled in for an issue as well I think those were the only two fill-ins we had maybe Andy Kuhn filled in for an issue too I don't remember hmm. yeah it was it was a it was a great learning experience and I'm glad to have that, you know, a big four-year run under my belt. Absolutely. Now, when you got Detective Comics, did that feel like a promotion, or how was it kind of pitched to you? Like, oh, we have an opening in Detective Comics, do you want to move over from Robin, or, and were you kind of done with Robin at that point? Like, did you feel like you kind of had, you know, done what you needed to do artistically, like there wasn't a lot to kind of push you with Robin, or was any of that even a concern at all? Or was it just, hey, here's Detective Comics, let's do this? Uh, Toward the end of my one run on Robin, I was getting kind of restless. I knew I needed to move on. Um, I was trying a few different things. Um, the writer, um, you know, Chuck left. Um, and then the writer, John Lewis, took over. He was getting ready to leave. It seemed like a good time to get going. And it was Bob Shrek was group editor at the time. And he called me up. And, you know, I don't know what motivated him to offer me the job. Um, but he, yeah, he, he offered me detective, and I thought it would be a great chance to change who I was artistically, you know, because I felt trapped on Robin in this cartoony. I mean, I'm being honest; my work is still very cartoony, but back then it was this weirdly stylized stuff that that I felt locked into and detective gave me a chance to go much more serious, much more realistic and, um, darker. And, um, so yeah, I, I jumped at the opportunity when I started my career. I said, if there's one character, I'll never be able to draw. It's Batman. I just don't have the skill to draw Batman. And he's probably, he, he and the Joker are probably the two characters I've drawn the most in my life. Followed by (laughs) Superman. Probably. So, so how did you, so if that was kind of what you thought originally, how did you then figure out a way to do Batman? Or what was your what was your take? Or how did you make it work for your style and to be able to capture that character? 
Um, I, my go-to at the time was Dark City, the movie Dark City. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it um, had the right feel to it to me for a Gotham. It was stylized, but it was still realistic. It didn't go as far as Tim Burton, you know, because back then we didn't have the Christopher Nolan Batman hadn't hit yet. It was coming out right at the time. I, right in the middle of um, my run on Detective is when um, Christopher Nolan's Batman, they started working on that. So um, there was um, Kevin Nolan has a great take on Batman. So I spent a lot of time looking at him, uh, this movie Dark City, um, Lee Bermejo, <clears throat> excuse me, did a book called, it was a crossover with Wildstorm, uh, Death Blow Batman, and he had an interesting take on Batman that, that had a bit of influence on mine. Um, he did this sort of hook, hawk-like broken nose that I just love, so I stole it. <laughs> um, um, but mostly it was, it was using a lot of black. It was using a lot of shadows. That's where I wanted to take it. You know, I wanted Batman to be barely visible in the dark. So that was my major motivator was Batman has to be in the shadows. Now, when you work with Will on Catwoman, what was, again, kind of what was your kind of entry point to the character and kind of being able to, she's obviously got a very different look, a very different feel from anything else you kind of worked on at that point. How, what was your kind of way into that character? Um, well, I'd loved, absolutely loved Darwin Cook's work on the book. I think Cameron Stewart drew it after that, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. He did some fantastic work in the same vein as as um, Darwin. And then Paul Galassi took over, and he took it in another direction, this super stylized, you know, brightly colored, um, high-octane Catwoman that was really cool to look at. So I knew that I couldn't do Darwin. I couldn't go that dark and shadowy way direction. Uh, I couldn't go this amped up, stylized, um, colorful Catwoman that that um, Paul Galassi had just done because, you know, they're both better at those things than I am. And my wife said to me, well, look at your sketchbooks. Draw the way that you draw for yourself, which was this open line European sort of thing. So she was actually the one that that got me my hook on Catwoman. And um, so, yeah, I went that way. I, I tried to keep it the figures realistic, but and the but the rendering kind of open and let Brad Anderson do a lot of the heavy lifting on the on the environment. So because the other guys who'd been before there been on it before were were just better at doing those things than I thought I was at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was my hook. Now, as you were finishing up on Catwoman, I guess you start doing the. Um the backup stories in X-Men Deadly Genesis. I'm just curious how like, how you kind of got that call or where that kind of came from because at the time, again, you're working for DC for a while now and now you get a call and you to do this, you know, this backup in this, you know, heavily promoted X-Men miniseries. What was that process like getting on and doing those backups and introducing these new characters that had been retroactively added into X-Men continuity? You know, a lot of how 
business works on the editorial end is still kind of a mystery to me. I don't know who talks to who or how the decision-making process works. Um, I got the call from Nate Cosby, who was the assistant editor on the book. Um, Mark Benicia was the group editor. Um, there was a lot of competition. There was a, a lot of rivalry at the time between DC and Marvel. There was a lot of talent swapping, people, you know, con- exclusive contracts being, you know, dangled in front of artists to lure them away from another publisher. Um, uh, so I think that was part of the, the process was that um, I, I, I hope they saw my work and liked it, but there was also a, a sense of competition, I think. And that was, you know, the, the bait was the X-Men Deadly Genesis stuff. I I think Ed Brubaker had, had seen my work and liked it on Catwoman. I think that was part of the process. Um, at the time, it was, it was nutty because... I was still finishing up Catwoman. I still had I mean, like my last two issues of Catwoman. So I was doing that plus eight pages a month for X-Men Deadly Genesis. And my wife was pregnant with our son at the time. So there was a lot of doctor's visits and stuff like that. So I didn't, I didn't sleep much for those, <laughs> those few months. In and around this period, you also uh, did um, a series of, like I guess, two-page stories with Dan Slott for an Amazing Fantasy book. I'm curious how that came about. I think it was the same editor. I don't remember, but I think it was the same editor, Nate Cosby, who um, asked me to do that. And I swear that's some of the most fun I've ever had in the business. (laughs) Um, Dan and I for a while tried to find a way to work together but I needed the health insurance so I had to sign an exclusive at at DC and um, he was exclusive at Marvel so that was not going to happen but but it was so much fun Um, and Dan and I still keep in touch we talk now and then but we're still kind of separated by by the DC Marvel thing Mm -hmm. hopefully I get to work again with him sometime yeah now when it's interesting with Catwoman like did they did you know you wanted to leave, or I mean, obviously it was right around when you know your last issue is the last issue before they launched the one year later kind of imprint at the time, where every book moved forward a year. What was the process of you leaving Catwoman? Was it them saying, "Let's, we want you to come do this Superman story uh, as part of you know the the one year later for Superman," or was it you know like like how did it come about? Is it did they say, "Oh, do you want to work on something else, or we want to go in a different direction with Catwoman?" And then the Superman books kind of opened up, and that was an option. Or did they come with you to Superman first? Yes, yeah, good question. My memory isn't that good. I remember. Um. Okay, I was remembering some angst there because I was unemployed for a couple months, but that was bef- that was between. Um. Detective and Catwoman. I don't remember the process, but I was under exclusive, so I had to. They had to give me work, and and Matt during the one year later, that was a perfect time for me to leave the book. And also, Matt, who I was working with, I think Bob was leaving the company, and Matt was becoming group editor at, on the Superman books, taking over for Eddie Braganza, and so I just Matt just kind of took me with him which um, I'm grateful for Matt's you know Matt's been the source of so much of you know the work I've gotten over my career um, 
So, yeah, I think I don't remember the specifics, but I'm sure it was Matt said, well, we're leaving Catwoman, but we've got this new series um, called Up, Up and Away with Jeff and Kurt. Um, You want to do that? I'm sure it was something like that. So. And how hectic was that schedule? Because I think, you know, in those few months, I mean, it was, I guess, an eight-part storyline. pretty sure you did, like, five or six chapters of it. I was supposed to do all eight, but I couldn't keep up. Um, but um, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I'm spacing the guy who filled in for me on a few of the issues. I want to say Renato? Um, or Yeah. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. Um he, he did fantastic. It was beautiful work. Um, yeah, I was supposed to do all eight, but if that answers your question, I just couldn't keep up. It was a, two issues a month. We did have a head start, but then scripts were slow. Um, and, you know, the first issue of any book goes slow. So between um, the, the scripts not turning around as fast as we would like and me being... You know, wanting to make sure every little line was perfect, um, we got behind really quick. So there's plenty of blame to be spread around for for that. Uh, after that, you did a, I guess that back in action arc as well in Action Comics, and you get to work with uh, Fabian Nicieza and Kurt Busiek. What was it like working with those two? Well, you know, Kurt I had worked with already for a year. It was it was funny. I was dying, you know, trying to keep up on up up and away. And I thought, oh, okay, the series is going to be done. I can take a, a month off and chill out. And then I get a call from Matt saying, you know what? You want to do three more issues? Um, I said, because I can't turn down work. I said, sure. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of, you know, I probably should have taken a, a month off before I jumped back into it. But um, I've been working with Kurt. And Kurt, you know, Kurt was, Kurt's a smart dude. And um, he was helping me a lot, helping amp up the quality of the work I was doing, you know, improve the storytelling, improve the the action, expressions, character, you know, everything. He, he So I really loved working with Kurt. He, he was a huge help and an important part and important moment in my career. And um, Fabian, I'd only known about. We, I never really spoke much with Fabian during that action run. Um, it was mostly just professional back and forth. Here's the script. Okay, thank you, kind of stuff. It wasn't until um, Legion Lost that Fabian and I really started talking. Hmm. Now, you got to be the artist on Amazon's Attack, which was a, at the time kind of pitches a, a bigger event in and around, I guess, the Countdown era. What was it like working on something like that, which was also kind of, again, a bit more of an event, had more eyeballs on it as a, res- as a result? Did you feel any additional pressure working on a book like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, that was, um, what am I trying to say here? Um, yeah, there was a lot of attention. And we knew it was going into countdown. Um, so yeah, I was I was worried. I was trying to do the the best work I could. I'm I'm still proud of of um, the the uh, art work I did. I know there was a lot of 
on that story, there was a lot of hands pushing the story back and forth, and things got jumbled, things got mixed up. I, it's not Will's, you know, responsibility for. It's it's one of those books where there were, I think, too many cooks, and it, it the story just didn't work out as well as as it could have, I think. And um, so while I'm proud of the the art, I know a lot of Wonder Woman fans don't like the book, and I understand the reasons why. And one of the advantages, though, is that I get to, you know, there's a meme out there about um, bees. I don't know if you've seen it, but bees, my God, it's a deadly Amazon bee weapon. So it's always fun to see that pop into my feed every once in a while. (laughs) Um, You got to illustrate one of my my favorite... um uh, Tales of the Sinestro Corps one-shots on Superman Prime. Uh, what was it like to be given that task? Because, again, that's in the middle of a really big event that DC was pushing at the time. It was extremely well-received, and these one-shots were also a great kind of a, a addition to the main story. How did you kind of get that gig? And what was it like to be inked by Ordway? Oh, wow. Um, was I inked by Ordway on that one? I think so. I could be wrong. I know. I did a lot of my. Uh, let's see. Which we're talking about the um, Superboy Prime one shot, right? That's right. I seem to remember inking myself on that. Oh, then I apologize. So, no, there, Jerry did. It was me doing part of the story, and Jerry did flashback sequences. Oh, uh, that um, might be what I'm thinking of then. Yeah, Jerry did the flashback sequences because I'd love to be inked by Jerry. Hello, Jerry. You can ink me whenever you want to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, now I'm confused, but I forgot your question because I was too busy trying to figure out if I'd been inked by Jerry. Orton. No, that's okay. Uh, well, just what was it like working on that book? Because, I mean, that that's, you know, it's a one-shot. It's connected to a big event that's happening that summer, which was, uh, you know, or maybe not even that summer. I can't remember exactly how year it was coming out, but it was huge when that came out. Like, Sinestro Core War was a big deal. And your one shot was a big piece of that as well. So, what was it like to kind of get that gig, and how much fun was it to work on? Um, well, you know, it was. I will drop anything to work with Jeff. Jeff is one of my favorite writers to read, and also one of my favorite writers to work with. Um, and so, anytime somebody says, "Hey, you want to work with Jeff?" I, I'm right there. So. Um, that was the major motivating factor. And then when I read the script, there's a scene in that where Superboy's powers are waning and the superheroes are piling on top of him, beating the living crap out of him. And I think it's on the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's just there's this moment. I knew I had to take the book when I read this bit where Superboy's reaching out of this pile of superheroes you know, or pounding the crap out of him. His powers are waning, and he stretches, and his fingertips just catch the edge of the first rays of the morning sun, and he just explodes out of this pile of superheroes. And, you know, he, he wins the day. And that to me, that was one of the coolest scenes I could ever imagine drawing. So, so I had to take the book when, that, when, I, when I read that, that, that page description. I loved it. So... That was, you know, I still remember that scene. It's one of my favorite things I've ever drawn. It's it's a fantastic scene because yeah, and then I remember reading that for the first time and just being like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's you know, reading Jeff's scripts, 
they have the same effect. Whenever I get a script from Jeff, it's like there's always that moment where you're like, oh my god, you know, that fanboy moment that you're like, everything's going to change. This is so amazing. Um, he's he's fantastic at that. So I'm looking forward to to this Green Lantern movie that he's working on because it's going to kick ass. For sure. Now, I'm, I'm the one thing I'm really curious about is he worked on a few issues of Countdown, and I'm just curious what that was what experience that was like because that was obviously a book that you know very hard fast deadlines needed to you know be hit it was a weekly book um you know and everyone was just kind of coming cycling in and out of that book in terms of artists and writers what was it like for you to kind of take on the art tours for a few issues you know it wasn't bad because um the editorial team i helmed by mike carlin i believe they they knew what they were doing um we had plenty of time. I when I had, I think it was four issues I had to do. I had four months to do them. Um, so maybe it might have been a little bit less than four months, but it was. It, so that part wasn't stressful. I was stunned when I got the schedule um, on a. I think it was a was it a weekly book at the time. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I. So yeah, I, I had four months to do a book that was going to come out every four weeks, which is, you know, on a schedule like that is unheard of. I don't know how much planning they did, but kudos to them for, for making it work. Um, it was the first time I'd ever worked over someone else's layouts. Um, Keith Giffen had his, you know, had his layouts. Um, of course I was, you know, given free reign to, to do whatever I want. And I grew up reading Keith. So, you know, he, a hero so it was great to uh to be able to work with him um but yeah it was the first time i worked with someone else's layout so it was interesting because it gave me a different perspective on how how a scene how a scene or a page could be laid out and a story can be told something that you know different takes i'd never seen before and i integrating that with my own style was was a lot of fun it was um it was more fun than I expected it to be. It's all a blur now. I can't remember. All I, the only scene I really remember drawing was Donna Troy looking down on an, an, a huge army because I had drawn so many armies <laughs> that, you know, two-page spread with thousands of, you know, soldiers in, in battle. And, oh, my God. But, but um other than that, it was fun. But of course, that's the only thing I remember is draw, having to draw thousands of soldiers. I think it was Queen Bee's army, if I remember right. It's been a long time. In your opinion, who do you think does that type of thing the best? The giant crowds of armies. Who do you think? Oh. Know, hmm? Wow. You know, I don't. It's always a struggle. I'm trying to think of somebody who I've seen who's done it. And, um,. Nothing. I'm, nothing's coming to my head. I mean, it just anybody it about anybody who does it. I feel does it better than me. That, <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, I can't think of off the top of my head somebody that I I I might feel pity for them. But you know, if if anybody can pull it off and get a sense of drama behind it, I can't think of a scene where I've seen it. But but Eric Larson could probably pull off this thousands of soldiers scene mm-hmm. and and make it kick ass so what was it like to do a backup with uh, gail simone about secret six that was fun i was i'd wanted to work with gail for so long and um you know we got to do mad hatter so 
you're digging stuff out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> that was fun. I, I really enjoyed working with Gail. Uh, I'd like to do it again sometime. My wife, Rebecca, worked with Gail for a, a book called Sexy Chicks from Dark Horse. She did a six or eight page story, I think, that Gail wrote. But Gail's peach. I, I love Gail. She's a, she's a great um, writer. She's an awesome person. And um, I just think, you know, just a good person overall. So I was thrilled to work with Gail. Where, where did the opportunity kind of come from? Because, I mean, like you were working on other books at the time. So where did the opportunity to do a, a backup in that book come from? You know, I have I, I cannot remember. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember who the editor was in the book. I don't remember anything other than, this, you know, it's the story. So, yeah, I, I'd like to answer your question, but I, I simply just don't remember. That's okay. Um, well, let's talk let's, a bit more about Superman. So you kind of come back and you start doing a lot of Superman with New Krypton. Uh, you were doing the storyline that went through Action Comics, and then you did the world of New Krypton. Uh, what was it like to kind of come back to Superman? And did you feel that you had um, that you were more ready for Superman? Like, Not that you weren't the first time, but you've done a lot of work in, in kind of the interim, and now you come back full force. Did you feel like you were better ready for Superman? Um, I was trying a lot of new things on that book. Um, so I was ready to... Superman was a safe canvas to play on, if that makes sense. Um, very familiar with the character, very familiar with the, the, the lore. Um, so it felt comfortable. And the fact that we were taking him out of his element was kind of fun. Yeah, taking him to Krypton, in New Krypton, was was neat. It was, you know, a fun a take on the, on the story. Um I was experimenting a lot with three. That was when I was really beginning to get a handle on um, SketchUp. So I was using a lot of 3D models, and I think I used them too much in the backgrounds of that book. But at the time, I thought it looked good. Um, uh, I just derailed myself here. Um, and I got to work with Greg Rucka and James Robinson. And, you know, both of those guys are so good at what they do. Um, and it was a lot that the scripts were really good. It started out, I was working with Andrew Kreisberg. Um, but he, like I had drawn four or five pages from his script and it was a completely different take on the story. And then, than what people saw, um, and about three or four pages in the story, he took over, he started on Arrow. Um, so he couldn't write New Krypton and, you know, he didn't have the time to do both. So he had to leave um, New Krypton. And that's, if I remember right, that's when they hired Greg and James. So, yeah, when I, I got the book twice, um, <laughs> once working with Andrew Kreisberg and once with um, with Greg and, and James. But, yeah, it was a great way to experiment. I, I did a lot of things on that book that I hadn't tried before. In fact, um, if you go to my YouTube page, you can still see the models for that I that I made a few models. I made a model of um, New Krypton, the city, and I made a model of Metropolis. I'll have to hunt. I can't remember my YouTube screen name at the moment, but I'll tell you in just a sec. Um, but yeah, so it was different than action. 
um, the stuff I'd done on Up, Up, and Away because I was trying new and different things. Mm-hmm. So. Did, did you design the um, like the outfit that Superman wore when he was part of the um, of the I guess I, I forget exactly where he was in Krypton at the time, but when he was wearing the kind of the military uniform, did you kind of design those uniforms, or were you moving off of something a different model? I can't remember exactly. Um, Gary Frank actually designed that costume. Okay. I thought it was a great costume. It had a, a it had a good tie. It felt like the film, but it also felt like classic fifties. Krypton, I, he, he he did this balancing act with it that I just thought was brilliant. Um, just my YouTube is uh, YouTube slash that Pete Woods. So if people want to see some of the models I made, um, they can look there. For sure. Now we, we talked before about you coming on Action Comics with the Black Ring, but so you you've done again at this point you'd worked on a, bu- a bunch of Superman. You did this you know the big Superman kind of event. You're doing one of the kind of the spine books for it, and now you come on Action Comics and it's a Lex centered story. What was it like to be able to kind of switch gears and tell a story about a very different character? Well, I'll tell you a secret. Um, I've always thought that Lex was almost a hero he's you know he i can understand lex i think looking at the world through lex's eyes he is the hero of the superman story so while yes super superman is always going to be my favorite superhero i really i get lex i like lex i think he's a good villain and i think he's he's what makes him a good villain is that he's almost you know from a different point of view he is the hero so, getting on that book with Paul, who wrote one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes ever, so that was a thrill to be able to work with him. Um, yeah, it, being able to portray Lex as almost, maybe a hero in this book, we're not sure. When we start out, we're not sure. If, you know, he maybe he's he's going to do something heroic, and in the end, he almost does. Um, it was it was a opportunity I'd always wanted I and I, I never knew it would be made available because I lo- like I said I just love Lex I think he's a great villain and I think he's a great character when you work on Legion Lost so DC ends all their titles they have the, the new 52 and they launch 52 titles um, first of all when you when you kind of heard about it were you like well I'm definitely getting one of those <laughs> well I was in a contract oh so I guess so, yes. <laughs> yeah I knew I was getting something. Um, it actually, I didn't find out about New 52 well, when everybody else did. It was like two days before it was announced. I got a phone call from Matt Idelson. Because um, what was supposed to happen was once we finished off action, Paul and I were going to move on to Superman Batman. Um, and um, then we got a call from Matt. He said that we weren't going to be doing Superman, Batman. Paul was going to go on to do something else. And they were, DC was offering me a Legion book. Um, it wasn't really like, do you want to do this Legion book? It was, here's the book you're going to do. Um, which, you know, was fine. That's the way these things work out sometimes. Legion is, was not my favorite um, property going into the series. But I really liked the idea of, you know, having Legion members trapped in our time. So 
that was the hook for me. That's what that's what got me signed on to the book. And working with Fabian was a, was a it was a great opportunity. I always wanted to work um, with Fabian in a more you know when Fabian's being Fabian, not that him working with Kurt is a problem at all. But but just the two of us together was going to be fun. It was going to be somebody new that I hadn't really really um, had the opportunity to work with before. So. When, so, you, when you did that book, like, wh- which characters did you kind of enjoy illustrating the most? Timberwolf, of course. He's fun. And, um, um, well, you know, they were all, Tellus was, Steve Lytle gives me a hard time because I got Tellus wrong. <laughs> he, um, you know, he, he created Tellus. He knows how Tellus is supposed to look. And I made Tellus more more humanoid than he liked. Um, so he gives me a hard time about it, but I enjoyed drawing Tellus. Um, I enjoyed drawing Gates, you know, Chameleon Girl was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, just about the whole team was because I got to, I got to design their costumes. I got to design their look from the ground up. So, um, it, once again, I felt a sense of ownership and Brad, uh, Anderson, the colorist, and I did a lot of communicating. We wanted to do something a little bit different stylistically for the book. He did a lot of color holds, which is when you take the the inked line art and you draw over it in a in a different color. So we'd get a lot of white rim lighting and stuff like that. Um, Brad was he's a, Brad's one of the greatest guys to work with. So. Um, and he's willing to do anything that, you know, you ask him to as long as it doesn't, you know, interfere with his own creative expression. So, so he was, yeah, he and I worked together really in a way that I thought worked really well on that book. Um, there was a lot of struggles on it. It was um, not the, the best experience for anybody on that book, I think. It was... Everything was shifting at DC, and there were a lot of a lot of um, there was a lot of back and forth with editorial. I think everybody was finding their feet as things changed at DC, and things I think in the long run things have changed for the better. <clears throat> but it was um, that beginning was a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, I got a cough. <coughs> um, well, I have, so, a, so I have a question. So in and around yeah. your contract era, I don't know if maybe your contract ended at some point, but how did you end up doing two issues of Avengers Assemble with Kelly Sue then? That was right about the time my contract was up. I think, I don't remember when those issues, I, I think, I, I guess what probably happened, <clears throat> once again, I have a terrible memory. What probably happened was that I had, you know, my contract was up at DC, and I figured, what the heck? I'm gonna contact the guys at Marvel and and uh, see what they say. So Tom Brevoort was the editor on that book, and he contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do two issues with Kelly Sue. And um, I wasn't very familiar with Kelly Sue at the time, but he sent me the script, and and um, it just blew me away. I wrote Kelly Sue almost immediately immediately afterwards, telling her how awesome I thought it was because. 
the script on that on those Kelly can write um, the script on those books. Each character you can hear their voice in it in a way that I you know, most people I've worked with before I haven't been able to do. So she's got a different take, and I really dig it. And so I I'm meandering again, but um, yeah, I think I contacted Marvel and Tom Brevoort wrote me back and offered me that those two issues, which I jumped at, especially after I read the script. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious what it was like working with Sterling Gates on uh, on Vibe because Vibe was Vibe was a fun book. I mean, they kind of resurrected and, and made Vibe cool again, uh, if that's a sentence. Um, <laughs> and and then you get to illustrate that series. What was it like working on that character and you know again making him cooler? Well, I had worked with Sterling before. He'd done some of the New Krypton stuff. That's right. That's right. Last day in the New Krypton. Um, so it wasn't the first time Sterling and I worked together. But, you know, I think we, I, I may be prejudiced here, but I think we made a good comic. I think Vibe was a fun book. I think Vibe suffered from being Vibe. Um, <laughs> this, this, yeah, this attitude that Vibe sucks. Um, but I think if people went back and read those books, I think they'd find their fun comics. Uh, Sterling did a great job, and I had a blast working on the book. Um, it was frustrating because we were pouring our hearts into that book and and it just wasn't taken off. I mean, Jeff had a lot invested in it too. Jeff, you know, wanted that book to succeed. And it just, you know, there's, I think there's a preconceived notion that Vibe's going to fail. And I don't often feel that way. I, I feel like oftentimes when a book doesn't do well, there's a good reason for it. But I think in the case of Vibe, I think that the reason it didn't do well was not because it you know we did a bad job mm. I think it was because people expected it not to be a good book or they just thought the character was goofy <clears throat> which which is not what he was presented as in that book I mean you guys really kind of made him a much more enjoyable understandable character I mean I wasn't reading you know his original appearances back in the day but I understand why people kind of are uh, don't revile him, but maybe don't give him a lot of respect. And I think if they read your your take on the book, they would see that that's not what you guys were doing. You guys kind of rebuilt who that character was and made him enjoyable. Well, thank you. I, I uh, we tried. Um, Sterling Sterling poured his heart into it. He, he worked hard, and you know, like I said, Jeff had a lot invested in it too. He really wanted that book to succeed, and we were working to make it an interesting, fun book, but. You know, you can't win them all. So what kind of challenge is it to illustrate something like Terminator that has such a, you know, everyone kind of has a, a very clear idea of what Terminators look like and how a uh, Terminator story kind of goes. So what's it like to kind of come on a book and illustrate, you know, 12 issues of telling a Terminator story? <clears throat> it was it's something uh, stylistically, you know, I'd never done a licensed book. I'd never done something so grounded in in you know fans consciousness you know and something that had such a strong visual um background to it so it was intimidating it was fun it was i was grateful i'm terrible at drawing likenesses i'm one of the worst um (laughs) so i was very happy to find out that we didn't have the rights to the likenesses 
of you know the actors. Oh, okay. We had the we had the rights to the characters, but not the you know I couldn't do Christian Bale as John Connor, and I couldn't do Arnold Schwarzenegger um, as Terminator. We got around it. I did. I was really proud. I did a, a page. Um, uh, Straczynski uh, asked for a page where we actually see classic '80s Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator walk into the um, the time portal and port back. You know, we see that character. And for the first time in my life, I did a likeness that I loved, and uh, I sent it in. And editorial came back and said, "We can't use this. This looks like him." So I had to crop him, but you know, put him in shadow. But um, <clears throat> it was a fun book, and and I used to, once again I used a lot of 3D models because Terminators are hard to draw. So I used basic 3D models and drew over them. Um, for the Terminator, and um, but I, you know, I think it was a, it was an. I thought Straczynski's ending for it was like the the sort of the finale for the Terminator franchise. You know, if we if we did it ourselves, um, it was our own Terminator Four. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it three? But um, I, I I had fun with it. I it was a story that I thought wrapped up Terminator pretty well, and you know it's very similar to in some ways to Genesis, which is interesting. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a challenge in a whole different way that I'd never experienced. But it was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and I do it again. I you know I I'd love to miss shot at another Terminator book. Actually, I. I did do another Terminator book. I don't know if it's ever going to see the light of day, um, so I can't really talk about it um, because it's you know. It, well, I can't tell you anything about it other than I did do another Terminator book, but you'll probably never see it. And um, I'd love to do an Aliens book at one point or another. Well, going to be that was going to be my next question. Would be you know if you could pick another licensed property, which one do you, would you want to do the most? Well, honestly, I'd probably want to do Doctor Who the most, but but aliens would be a lot of fun. Challenging so, though, in terms of you know what they look like, no, and how to well, yeah, it's, no, because you can get with with a character like the alien, you can get the silhouette and just black it in, and then pick out the highlights. So it looks complex, but. If you know the general placement of things, you can get away with with not drawing everything. So hmm. that's the way I would handle it. I would, you know, they'd be black with highlights here and there to to to, to enhance the details. But yeah, I don't think it'd be as hard as people think it as it looks. So how do you so in terms of you know different styles? I mean, there's other books in the mean in the middle as well. But uh, so you have Terminator, then you're on you do Cryptocracy, and now you have Archie. So Archie's got a very you know um, by then it's already been around for a year and a half. The new relaunch that Mark Wade kind of spearheaded. Um, what's it like kind of going on to a book like that that has a very definitive kind of style and look that the last few artists have done? And what is it like working with Mark Wade on making these characters pop? And telling a very compelling emotional story. Um, it was, you know, we went a lot. There was a lot of back and forth at the beginning. Um, 
me trying to get the characters right. I, I turned in um, some um, character designs at the very beginning, and everybody I drew ended up looking about in their mid-twenties. <laughs> um, so editorial came back and said, you know, we need to, we need to rethink this. And they were right. Absolutely. They were right. Because, you know, I just, I, like I said, I, I'd drawn them too old. So there was a lot of back and forth and throughout the, throughout the book, um, there was a lot of back and forth as far as, um, as character appearances go and, and, um, Making sure they didn't look too old, didn't too many put too many lines on their face. Um, you know, Archie's managing not just a, just a one comic, but they're managing a brand, so they're going to have more um, ideas about how that should be presented. If that makes sense, you know, they want to protect the way the um, the character looks, the way they make sure it fits in with their overall aesthetic so um that was um uh it it was almost more challenging than terminator in terms of working with the the licensor about how characters should look and and stuff like that you know how how things are um just portrayed mm-hmm. so and working working with Mark was, um, I've always wanted to work with Mark. It was finally an opportunity to do that, um, and uh, it was it was fun. Um, I'm just oh. curious how you ended up being the cover artist on the Further Adventures of Nick Wilson. Um, you know, I, it was uh, Shannon Denton was the editor on that book, and I think he's the one that lobbied for me to get that job. Um, that was that was a really interesting gig, and and I think the the. The book is, is really good. I mean, it's a, you know, and Steve Sadowski and Ian Churchill both did a, did, did a fantastic job on the artwork on that book. So it was really cool um, to work with Eddie. I spoke with Eddie for a little bit um, when I first took over the book, and uh, he's a good guy. I really like him too. So it was fun. I, but yeah, I think it was just Shannon Denton, you know. Put the word in for it. I don't know what compelled him to do that, but I appreciate it because, like I said, it was fun. For sure. And then Justice League. How does Justice League kind of come about? Well, um, Brian Cunningham, the editor on Justice League, was um, was uh, the editor on um, was Vibe and uh, Legion Lost, and you know he told me that that you know that we could work together again sometime if, you know, when the opportunity presented itself. So as, um, Archie and hero killers was wrapping up, I wrote, um, Brian saying, you know, I got to I wrote a lot of people saying I've got, you know, my schedule's open and somehow justice league opened up and somehow I got it. Um, it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. I was I was really excited about that book when I got it. Now you did a lot of issues in a very compressed period because of its kind of uh, extra you know shipping schedule. What was that like to kind of how much of a lead time did you have to kind of produce that quickly? Um, I had um, um, I had uh, I had a bit of lead time, but 
something came. I don't remember what happened, but we had some something happen at home that really took a bite out of that schedule, which is why um, I have two issues, two fill-in issues on that series. Otherwise, I would have been in good shape. But um, I forget your question now. Is it about the schedule? Yeah, like how did you kind of approach it? Because it it does have a very aggressive schedule and how much lead time they gave you originally. Uh, They gave me plenty of lead time, if I remember. I had, yeah, I had a month an issue. But like I said, we had stuff happen here at home that really took a bite out of that schedule. Otherwise, I would have gotten it done, mm-hmm. gotten the whole series done. Um, I hate I hate that. I hate having, you know, a series that I need to get a fill-in on halfway through. Yeah. So. Now, what, now, when you get a priest script, what does that look like? Um, looks like any other script, only priest wrote it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's... You know, uh, Priest and I talked a lot before, I think before I ever saw the first script. And um, so we had a good back and forth going before I took over. Um, And, uh, well, there's a lot of, it's it's fun. I mean, Priest and I really, you know, we really clicked in the very beginning. So it was... It was a great experience. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe a, Chris, uh, a, a priest script compared to any other script, because um, really, there, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference mm-hmm. other than a priest wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, like how? Just like I mean, obviously, some people are more detailed than others. Like I'm, of the litany of people you've worked with, I'm very curious about like you know when you did those two pagers with Dan Slot, like. Was it what we expect from a dance lot script, like in kind of hyper-detailed, or was it giving more room to play with? And then same thing with Priest. Was it like extremely detailed with the breakdowns? Because obviously um, you read a Priest book these days, there's a certain kind of feel to it, a certain kind of aesthetic that you're used to coming across in the art that I guess is you know dictated by the script. So I'm just curious how much of it is in there. Okay. Um, yeah. He included, at the, en- at the end of the scripts, he includes a big bundle of reference of, of stuff that he, you know either stylistically or um, physically like a location he'll want specific or um, a character design that you know he wants to push in a certain direction so he'll include stuff like that and but as far as panel descriptions and page descriptions it's pretty par for the course I mean he I, I don't work generally with plots, which is, you know, just a page, basic description of a page rather than mm-hmm. line-by-line script. So Priest does a, a full script with um, with panel descriptions, but it's not overwhelming. It's not – there's not a lot of stuff there, just enough to, to, to get a vibe for, to get a feel for. Okay. Now, I don't mean this question to be rude in any way, so I apologize in advance. Um, okay. Wh- wh- of all the different scripts you've gotten, which or whose script did you find was kind of the loosest, so it gave you the most room to play with or gave you the most basic information and you really got to fill in most of the storytelling kind of on your own? And who gave you kind of the densest or the, the tightest script that had the, the most specific directions? 
Um, let's see. Loose scripts, are, and that's something we we usually talk about beforehand, so everybody's on the same page. So, like, on um, my first issue of Red Hood, it was almost all plot. It was very, very loose. Second issue is it's, it's much more full script, other than the fight scenes, you know. I get um, Scott Lobdell's writing the book, and he'll give me, like, he'll give me scripted stuff when it's people talking and important emotional notes, but when it comes to fighting, they'll give me, like, okay, these, you know, there's going to be a big fight scene on this page, and here's what I want to happen at the end of it. So, that's it's fairly loose. The loosest I've ever worked with was um, Dan Jurgens on Batman Beyond. I did an issue of Batman Beyond with Dan Jurgens, and, um, and he just, he writes plot, so that was pretty loose, and, you know, I dig that. Um, as far as dense scripts go, I don't like really dense scripts because they kind of feel like they suck the life out of you. You know, mm-hmm. as an artist, you want to have some influence on what's going on. And when you get like those Alan Moore scripts where, you know, the, <laughs> for a panel description takes three pages, um, <laughs> to me, that just, that just sucks the life right out of me. Um, so I've never really gotten scripts. I'm one or two maybe that were like that, but nothing that I've worked on on a monthly basis. I think the tightest regular script I've ever worked on was John Lewis when he was writing Robin. You know, he'd never written a comic for anybody but himself before. Mm. So he didn't, you know, he was he was feeling things out and learning the process. So he did a lot of, you know, a lot of heavy-duty descriptions at the beginning um, because he didn't know what I, as an artist, needed to work with. So, um, but yeah, those are the two. I think Dan Jurgens did, you know, loose stuff because that's how he writes, and and John Lewis did really, really dense stuff because he didn't know the best way to do it at the time. So you mentioned before, so you're working on Red Hood now. Is there anything else coming up that you want to talk about or kind of tease us about that you're working on? Um, I have taken a vow over the past year or two to only work on one project at a time because I for, uh, for example um, Archie and Hero Killers for Dynamite those two projects were scheduled to be you know, I was supposed to finish up Hero Killers right about the time Archie started but Hero Killers um, kept getting um, pushed back um, the writer, Ryan Brown, had some family issues that he needed to deal with. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not anybody's fault. It's just life. But that one kept getting pushed back. And then I think we got moving a little earlier than I expected on Archie. So what I thought were two projects that were going to be separate suddenly became two projects that I had to do at exactly, exactly the same time. <laughs> and both projects were pencils, inks, and colors. Oof. So, <clears throat> yeah, it was... And it, after that experience, I vowed, no matter how nervous I get, I am not allowed to take more than one project at a time, because the projects suffer if, if I do. So right now it's just Red Hood. Um, I do in September issues of DC <clears throat> of the DC books. You'll see a little one-page thing I did. I won't tell you anything about it till it comes out. But it was it was a it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, 
but yeah, just Red Hood right now. That's all I'm doing. A question about when you're working on Hero Killers and on Archie. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, did you like? How did you like? Would you do like kind of a page of each, or like a bunch of pages in one, and then switch to the other book, or like did you just do one book at a, kind of a time and just try to go through it? Like, how do you manage? working on two books that are, again, so stylistically different as well at the same time. Um, and how do, how do you kind of manage that in your head? Well, um, being such different books, you know, I could do... What I would do is in the morning I would work on Archie um, and in the evening I would work on Hero Killers. Fortunately, I have a very talented daughter and um, I taught her how to um, my basic coloring process. So after the first issue of Hero Killers, she took over coloring duties on Hero Killers. Um, so she's actually the current um, Charlie's Angels series is coming out from Dynamite. She is she's coloring. So wow. I'm very proud of her. Good job, Celeste. Um, but so that she saved my ass on on Hero Killers. How old is your daughter? She is seventeen. Wow, and already in the biz. Yeah, she just she just graduated uh, with her AA from college too. So she's a she's an overachiever. Let's just put it that. <laughs> she's a lot smarter and a lot more talented than I ever was at, my, at her age. So, um, but yeah, that's that really helped get us over the hump on on that whole deadline fiasco. But fortunately, both Hero Killers and Archie were fairly simple. Art-wise, you know, there wasn't a lot of rendering. There wasn't a lot of storytelling was important, especially with with Archie. There was some, some beats that had to be hit, mm-hmm. um, but they were both open enough that I was able to not spend a lot of time inking and concentrate on the the coloring side of things to to really bring out the the look of the book. Excellent. Well, you know, again, thank you so much for joining us today. When does your first issue of Red Hood drop? I believe it's September. September. Issue 26. Um, I guess I I can't really ask anything that might spoil the book, so I'm excited to read it then. I'll just say that. Um, Well, let's see. I can tell you that things changed dramatically for Jason Todd in in um, in the time right before our issue hits. And then things changed dramatically again in the month of September. So I won't tell you anything more than that, but... That's a good tease, though. Yeah, it's... it's uh, Jason's... It, is, he's uh, he's going to have an interesting life for a while. Is it... Let's I, put well, it that way. I have, actually, no, I was, I was going to let you go, but now I have now you, you've piqued my interest okay. and I have a question. Um, okay, you've, go you've, ahead. you've illustrated Tim Drake. You've illustrated Stephanie Brown. You've illustrated Batman. What is, like, what is it like now to illustrate Jason Todd... And how do you approach him differently? And to me, Jason's a very different character than than most of the the um, the Bat family. Um, we are giving him a new uh, costume design um, that help separate that helps separate him from from uh, the Jason Todd that was before. So he's um, he's got much less of a Bat family influence right now than than he has in the past and so yeah it, it to me it feels like a very different character than than maybe tim drake or stephanie or or nightwing in, or somebody like that mm-hmm. he's a 
he's his own I've always liked Jason I know he's had a rough time of it but <laughs> but I've always thought he was an interesting character because he's, he wasn't yeah this, yeah in the same way Damien's an interesting character they're you know they're not what you'd expect them to be for who you know what their character was you know what they were the role they were expected to fill so to me that's always interesting absolutely well we look forward to uh to checking that out when that drops in September. And again, thank you for spending so much of your time with us today. I very much appreciate it. It was great to be able to pick your brain and uh, get a, a, a sense of how you approach your projects throughout the years. Thank you for letting me babble. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Thanks, Adam.